the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning, one and all. Welcome to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk 710-KNUS. It is so good to be with you on this Saturday, the 3rd of December. Thanks for joining us, being a part of the program. If you want to join into the festivities, give us a call, 303 696 1971 is our telephone number to do just that. You can also text into the show on the 710KNUS app on your smartphone and tweet at me 24-7-365. I am at Sang Center. That's Sang with an E, not an A, Center on Twitter. And of course, there are a couple of ways to email yours truly directly. One, log on to 710knus.com and go to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page. You can also email me via my website, jimmysangenberger.com, and go right there to the contact page. Now, keep in mind, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's. All the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is EZ. So lots of ways to get in touch with the program, including 303-696-1971. We've got a lot to talk about today. We will be joined in the next segment by Rabbi Jonathan Hausman of Ahavat Torah Congregation in Stoughton, Massachusetts, who will join us to talk about the growing rise in anti-Semitism on, frankly, both sides of the aisle. Most recently, what has come up this week with Kanye West and a few other figures. It is deeply disturbing. We will have some audio that, make no mistake, is deeply disturbing. I always love when we get to speak with Rabbi Hausman and very kind of him to join us on a Saturday to talk about this very important topic. I'm looking forward to being joined in just a little bit by Rabbi Jonathan Hausman. Later on in the program, the 8 o'clock hour, we will also be joined by Professor Ilya Soman, who's a law professor at George Mason University, a great school in Virginia. In fact, the late great economist Walter E. Williams, Dr. Walter E. Williams, who passed away in 2021, he was a professor, law professor at George Mason. And Professor Soman is going to join us to break down the lawsuit over Biden's attempted student loan forgiveness. Now, that lawsuit is headed to the U.S. Supreme Court. I believe they'll hear oral arguments come February. And... Professor Soman has written a great deal about the student loan issue, the various cases going on and so forth at the Volokh conspiracy 
that I think it's reason.org hosts. It's bounced around. It was at one point at the Washington Post, but it's a bunch of conservative and libertarian law professors that, well, I think they're the conservative and libertarian law professors. There might be liberals among them, too, who wax on about different legal issues and so forth. And Professor Soman always has great insights. I'm looking forward to being joined by him in the 8 o'clock hour so that we can get a better understanding of what in the world is going on in regards to this lawsuit and what the expectations are, so on and so forth. Very much looking forward to that conversation as well. And of course, you being a part of the festivities at 303-696-1971. We will also be discussing news of the day, of course, most noticeably, this was striking yesterday when the Hunter Biden Twitter files were released. The Hunter Biden Twitter files are no longer kept hidden. Elon Musk, via journalist Matt Taibbi, has released details in the first batch as of yesterday. I know Stefan talked about it. And this is a this is not a small story because what this is is an implication of the First Amendment. Now, I'm a big believer in free speech on tech platforms, but I'm also a big believer that tech platforms do have the ability to set their own determinations on how to moderate content, etc. Has Twitter gone overboard? Hell yes, they have. The Hunter Biden story is case in point. But I don't think we should legally have any issues when it's Twitter doing its own internal deliberations, etc. But when you have officials in the White House, in the administration, or people from political parties or campaigns who could be in the White House, that is a different story. When there is collusion between would-be government officials and government officials or and uh, tech platform officials that's a that's a bigger deal and we have heard in the past for example Jen Psaki remember that name the former press secretary in the White House she was on the record on multiple occasions publicly talking about how they were working with Facebook and Twitter and so forth to address disinformation, to call out what they say was mis- and disinformation. And so they could address that and also to highlight accurate information. You, you listen to what they are were saying at that point, and it's that's bad enough because what you're talking about in that particular instance is the government determining what is and is not correct information for the purposes of a private sector platform like that. So in essence, in the Hunter Biden story, in that situation, you have, according to the Twitter documents that are being released now, and the emails and so forth, you have... Biden campaign officials, legal counsel, others who are involved in saying, look, you you really should suppress this Biden stuff, this Hunter Biden stuff dealing with the laptop. 
And Twitter's saying, okay, sure. You have collusion between a campaign and the platform. In the instance of the tech platforms and the White House supposed misinformation, disinformation, clarity campaign, that's an instance as well of the White House trying to control the narrative by saying what speech should and should not be allowed. Yeah, sure. They may have it sort of a tacit, we think you should do this. Thanks for that. We're really trying to combat mis- and disinformation, but we're not going to tell you to do it. That's close enough to telling them to do it. There are legal issues that are implicated here. I really think so. And that, I have to say, is a deeply disturbing and fundamentally wrong. And it's it's a problem for our civil society. It's a problem for our discourse. It's a problem for honesty and transparent information and for trust in the media and trust in media sources and trust in the platforms and trust in the government. There are a lot of concerns going on in that regard. And I think it's legit. To dig into it and to say we got something here and thank goodness kudos to Elon Musk for doing what he's doing for taking these steps at long last to unveil to open the veil remove the veil from what happened in the Hunter Biden when we're learning more more details now. In the next hour, we'll dive into this story in greater depth. We'll take calls at 303-696-1971 as well on this important issue. It is not a small thing, and we must have our conversations about it. I did review the full Twitter thread, and I also reviewed some of the articles surrounding that, and there's a lot out there. And you can read the Twitter thread uh, for yourself, I believe last night at Sang Center on Twitter, I retweeted Stefan, who, yes, indeed, I retweeted Stefan Tubbs, who, um, at, at Tubbs Show, who retweeted Matt Taibbi's thread on the Twitter files. On the Twitter files. And you look at what's happening And it's important that we address that issue, to be sure. And there are some other things to dive into. There's been now an agreement on the rail uh, that is now forestalling a rail strike. And a couple weeks ago, I was on Stefan's show talking with Leroy behind the glass, producer for both my show and Stefan's show. And we were talking about this strike that might have happened beginning the 9th, but it would start, I think, seven days ahead. And the U.S. Senate just passed a bill that the uh, House and Senate passed a bill to prevent this strike. And Biden, was his administration was involved in striking the, this original deal 
among the unions and the rail companies that went and, well, there were four unions that didn't sign on to the deal. And so Congress was like, all right, we have interstate commerce authority. We did this back in like 1991. So we are going to pass a bill that will say, hey, no strike allowed. Now, Senator Rand Paul had a really great point in terms of, well, this isn't really the role of the federal government. Well, you know, once Congress gets involved in this, I would guess that they'll keep running to Congress. I don't think it's a good idea really to have Congress involved with mediating contracts between labor and management. I actually voted unusually present because I don't think there's any role for Congress, and Congress shouldn't say whether labor is right or management is right. I think had we not gotten in the middle of this, they would have come to an agreement because obviously a strike is not only bad for the country, it's bad for labor, and it's also bad for management. So, But by Congress coming to the rescue, I think it encourages this to happen again. And this isn't really the way the marketplace or the way people should figure out their wages. It's not the way we should have collective bargaining. So I absolutely agree. They do have constitutional authority because of interstate commerce, and this is something that's historically been done because of the significance on the imp- of the impact on interstate commerce. But let me tell you one thing. Just because the Constitution does authorize something doesn't mean that it's the best way to address it. Now, unions were talking about, oh, the government can get involved and we want Congress to fix this and address it. The rail companies and the unions were saying that. And lo and behold, Congress answers the call. At least they did it in the nick of time before they could begin the strike process because there were going to be steps taken if the if this wasn't done by yesterday because of the time window. It takes about seven days to percolate through things. We'll talk more about this coming up in the second hour. Maybe get some reaction from producer extraordinaire Leroy Duffenbaugh this morning as well. He had no idea, but I just might bring him into the fold to get some insights on this. But crisis averted. Will Biden do the right thing on other instances where his, in this case, it was a union agenda, came up against the internet or the, the national economy and he chose the economy over the union agenda and he's supposedly the most pro-union administration in history at least since FDR so is this a sign that Biden is going to do what's in the best interests of the American economy and American prosperity in the future instead of his political agenda don't hold your breath But we'll pose that question coming up as well. We're going to take a break. It's the Jimmy Sangenberger Show just getting started. On the other side, we'll be joined by Rabbi Jonathan Hausman to talk about anti-Semitism, Kanye West, and more. Keep it right here. News Talk 710-KNUS. May he rest in peace, the great late Albert King. Singing his Christmas tune, Santa Claus Wants Some Lovin'. Let's keep this in the background. As we welcome my good friend, Rabbi Jonathan Hausman of Ahavat Torah Congregation in Stoughton, Massachusetts. Rabbi Shabbat Shalom, and welcome with some good Christmas blues to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. <laughs> Nothing like beginning Shabbat with Christmas music. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? Listen, and you can never, and as you know, Jimmy, you can never go wrong with Albert King. So <laughs> I know, but listen to this, too. How much fun was he having making a song about Santa Claus? Some love it. 
<laughs> you know, you know, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, he was just such an amazing musician. And people, I don't know how many people understand this. He was he was functionally an illiterate, mm-hmm. couldn't read a lick of music, and this is what he did. I know there's a reason he's called one of the three kings of the blues, Albert King. Baby. Yes, sir. B.B., Freddie, and Albert. B. Amen. Freddie, and Albert. Ain't yeah. that the truth? Rabbi Jonathan Hausman, our guest this morning here on News Talk 710 KNUS. By the way, Rabbi, listeners will want to know this fun news. If you log on now to JimmySangenberger.com or to JimmySangenberger.com slash Bluesified Christmas, you'll be able to enjoy all the Bluesified Christmas bumper tunes that we're playing this holiday season. This Christmas season, we are playing the best. We're spinning it live here on the program. And now you can listen to it yourself off of the YouTube playlist, Jimmy, Jimmy's Bluesified Christmas Bumpers, which you can access nice and easy. JimmySangenberger.com slash Bluesified Bumpers. Of course, all ease all the time in Sangenberger. Rabbi, I think some folks are going to have some good musical listening coming up. Listen, you just better make sure that you got a little bit of Chuck Berry in there, too. Yes, right? absolutely. <laughs> I think we got a couple of Chuck Berry tunes in the mix there. Run, run. Run, run, Rudolph, baby. Yep, and he also had a song Christmas, too. So he had oh, yeah, a, yep. that's right, that's right. That's Another right. one. You know, one of the so things... Ask, so i oh. got to ask you a question. Yes. How, many, how, how often do you have clergy on the program who know as much about blues and music as I do? That's what I want to know. The only, I mean, you got Biff. Yeah, the, other, the only exception might be Biff Gore, who, by the way, will be uh, in studio with me doing music and more on New Year's Eve morning. I'm looking forward to to that uh, with everybody listening. Hear that, everybody! Mark your calendars for that. Listen to Jimmy and Biff. Biff Gore. No, I I think it's just you, Rabbi Jonathan Houseman, and Pastor Biff Gore, who are among the clergy that uh, that I can possibly talk this much music. And with you, I can really get into the blues. Uh, Biff has a, a a different oh, well he loves the blues too but isn't as n- specifically knowledgeable like you actually do have a remarkably encyclopedic knowledge of the blues for a rabbi I got to tell you but you, you used to host well I mean I have no idea for a rabbi for a priest for anybody I mean they could they could be it's just remarkable because you uh, have to study up on the on the Torah the other books and let me say that when you think of the um, when you think of religious faith, you don't necessarily think about hosting blues music festivals like you used to do. Uh, yeah, and as a matter of fact, I was asked. I have a friend here in Boston who passed away. Uh, her name was Lois Greco, and she was probably, in my estimation, the the best female blues guitarist and vocalist who just for some reason was never signed to a label. Now, that being, she was very, listen, she was she was very successful. She appeared on Broadway. She appeared on Off-Broadway. She, she used to tour with um, Robert Cray and a couple of other musicians as well. So, you know, she was accomplished. Her, her significant other, she had, now, I should not get ahead of myself. <coughs> Lo- Lois died a couple of years ago of uh, a form of uterine cancer and her significant other literally about six weeks ago said look 
we'd like to put together a fundraiser for cancer research. Uh, the Dana Farber, the Jimmy Fund, is here in Boston. And Rabbi, would you be interested in coming out of retirement too? And I, my re- response was, don't even finish the sentence. The answer is yes. Let's figure this out. So, you know, already we're we got a couple of musicians who have who have committed to come. There's some outreach to some big names. We're going to see what we can do here. It would be fun if I could possibly come out. I would, if it's possible for people who didn't know her. I would love to see what you can put together. I mean, I bet you can you can have a, a great memorial show. Oh, well, and that's, listen, we would love to have you come out. It would be, you're absolutely correct. And, um, you know, the only thing you would like to do things like this on a Saturday evening. Right. But, uh, you know, look, you, you, you get people, you get your talent when you can get it. And if it has to be on a Sunday, it'll be on a Sunday and we'll just have a great music fest. Absolutely. That sounds wonderful. Good for you, Rabbi Jonathan Hausman, joining us here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. I want to get to the topic at hand. Uh, We talked not too long ago when I can't remember which program, if it was uh, Stefan Tubbs' show in the afternoon or George Brockler's in the morning, but we were talking about Kanye West, or he's now known as Ye, and at the time he had said some anti-Semitic things, very much so, uh, expressing hatred towards Jews on social media and faced consequences under the prior management for that. And uh, then Adidas and other companies took him to task. And that was particularly after he said this about Adidas, with whom he had a a deal worth over a billion dollars. I should literally say anti-Semitic and they can't drop me. I could say anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me. Now what? Well, and then Adidas dropped him and he lost like one and a half billion dollars in wealth as a result of that. A couple of weeks ago, former President Donald Trump hosted at Mar-a-Lago a dinner with, yay, with this, uh, he, frankly, he is a white supremacist, uh, Nick Fuentes, and with Milo Yiannopoulos. And... It is stunning that that dinner happened. Trump was rightly criticized for it. I think more Republicans who were in position should have uh, said, look, you shouldn't do that and condemned it. And Trump should have been stronger in his language. And and that's a, a big issue of mine, especially because what we've seen this past week now is, yay, Fuentes, and in one case, Milo Yiannopoulos, all going on to a couple of different programs for extensive conversations. Now, on one Tim, Tim Pool show... Uh, Ye Fuentes and Yiannopoulos all walked out on the show when pressed very loosely, when Ye was pressed very loosely, barely, on his anti-Semitic comments. Well, then on Alex Jones' show, this happened. Here are some tidbits of Ye Fuentes and Alex Jones, who's clearly very uncomfortable on the program where Ye's saying the most outrageous things. And, and the Nazis, in my view, were thugs that shook people down to a lot of really bad things. But they did good things, too. We're going to stop dissing the Nazis all the time. Okay. I don't think Ye and or I are saying that any group is particularly bad or that Jews as a group are bad, but there are Jewish practices that are based on Jewish law, and there is clearly some kind of a Jewish mafia. Let me just say this in closing. I've done a lot of study. I think Hitler was a really bad guy, and I repudiate what Hitler did. I understand that the British intelligence set him up and used I, him. I, I like Hitler. I, I don't like Hitler. 
And I know you're trying to be shocking with that. I'm not trying to be shocking. I like Hitler. I do not. I the the Holocaust is not what happened. Let's look at the facts of that. And Hitler has a lot of redeeming qualities. So tell us, we you love, think we you think everyone. Hitler was the good guy in World War II? No, I see him as like a cool guy. You know, it's like he, uh, <laughs> he, you know, it's like he had a really cool outfit and stuff, and he was a really good architect. And, uh, and so you're in love with the with the with the with the with the, arch the, the the look of it. And he didn't kill six million Jews. That's just like factually incorrect. So this went beyond just anti-Semitism. You could hear Fuentes talking about that, alluding to a Jewish mafia. But Rabbi, this was outright praise of Hitler. This was outright by by a major pop star and fashion guy too. How do you react to that? Because we are seeing, in this case, it's more brazen, more explicit than a lot of the subtle stuff that we get from others. That is outright Jew hatred, but it can be more subtle, sharing the different Jewish tropes that are out there. What do you make of that and what we're seeing writ large? Oh, you know, I knew you wanted to talk about this topic because it is, A, the topic du jour, and B, because it just looms so large in, and I, I would like to say contemporary America and the contemporary mind, but the fact is that Holocaust denial, historical revisionism, uh, you're talking about not just decades long, not just centuries long, but millennia. I mean, such things yes. go back millennia. <laughs> And it, it's very interesting. We read in the Torah as part of the weekly Torah reading cycle last week. Uh, in Hebrew, it states, Esav lesonei et Yaakov, which means Esau hates Jacob. And the rabbis have an interesting view of this, at least some of the commentators do, that Esau is designated as Edom, Edom, E-D-O-M, as, you know, the non-Jew would would spell it and and Edom was the archetype for the non-Jew that for whatever reason and without reason in many cases just hated the Jew now this is this is from the book of Genesis that this is written so you, you know this Jew hatred we call it anti-semitism but it's outright Jew hatred has a long long history that was recognized even back in the days of the Bible. Hmm. One would have thought by the time we've reached this point in history that it would have lessened. But you know, my mother used to say, may she rest in peace, she used to say, Jewish history runs in 70-year cycles. Hmm. And listen, she died in 2011, so this was about 2006, 2007, certainly by 2008, she made this observation, she made this comment, and she, she finished the comment by saying, 70-year cycle, and she said, I hate to tell you, we're really coming to the end of the current 70-year cycle, and you're going to see the, not that she actually used this word, but the recrudescence, the a re-emergence of, of anti-Semitism, and she said, and things that you experienced at the end as a child, and she said that she experienced as a child in the 20s and the 30s um, that 
my father experienced in the 20s, 30s, and actually trying to get into colleges and law schools post-World War II with, with quotas and whatnot. And my mother was college-educated, too. Her generation, she had a master's degree. It was unheard of, to be honest with you. She said, we're coming to the end of that. And she really feared for the future. And listen, she was coming to the end of her life at that time. So, you, you know, I, I take a look at, I, I take her comment, and, and it seems that I put a lot of this into that kind of prism, P-R-I-S-M. Yeah. Now, now getting back to these two. Three, yeah. You know, clowns, I don't know, what do you want to call them, you know? Um, you know, yay, listen, his name's Kanye, I'm going to call him Kanye, you know, and Fuentes, I'm going to call him Fuentes. Um, the, you know, here reports are that Trump has dinner with these two. And, and, and Milo well, Yiannopoulos, by the way, as well. And Milo, yeah. I believe, is reportedly the one who, who arranged the dinner. Yeah, yeah. And it makes you wonder if this was a setup, I have to be honest with you. But that notwithstanding, you know, the reports come out and everything about Donald Trump's history, irrespective of what most of the mainstream media uh, and left-wing media, left-of-center media, has portrayed Trump, there was really nothing in Trump's background that evidences that he's a Jew hater. I mean, think about that, Jimmy. There's really nothing there that evidences that he's a Jew hater. Um, now, why is it philo-Semite? I don't know why. I don't know why Trump likes Jews. I, you know, I would I would note in terms of family connections that Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, is Jewish, and I believe Orthodox. she and Ivanka, an Orthodox, right? Yes, and they are, right. Ivanka converted. She's Orthodox. Jared is Orthodox. The, kid goes to, the kids go to Orthodox Jewish day school. They are Shabbat observant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Keep kosher, et cetera. You know, he, he 90%, the statistics are that 90%, approximately 90% of Orthodox Jews voted for Trump rather than Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden. You know, is it because his daughter is Orthodox Jewish? You know, is it because Jared, whom whom he obviously, Trump obviously loves and respects and trusts, is an Orthodox Jew? Is it because his grandchildren are Orthodox Jews? Okay. Uh, you, you know, or, you know, is it because Trump learned at the feet of his father, Fred, who was in his generation here in America, one of the great philo-Semites of that generation who donated property for synagogues to be established so they'd be homes and and who taught his son Donald that part of the family Trump family legacy is to love Jews and and I'll tell you when others refused to hire Jews okay and just take a look at the latest statistics that have just been published earlier this week close to 28% of corporate managers would prefer and try not to hire Jews for management positions. Now, this is the same kind of narishkite, we would use the word in, in, in Hebrew, the same kind of foolishness that corporate America exhibited 
and the 19-teens in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s um, with regard to hiring Jews for companies. It was the same kind of, of ceiling for advancement, if, if hiring was allowed, of Jews in the silk-stocking law firms and things of that sort. Um, you know, Trump, what, what did he do? He opened the formerly restricted Mar-a-Lago private club. Once Trump bought it and renovated, he opened this private club to blacks and Jews when he bought it. He surrounded himself with right. really, in my estimation, honorable Jewish legal scholars and attorneys like David Friedman and Jason Greenblatt. And I know somebody's going to call in and say, well, what about Michael Cohen? Okay, fine. Okay. But, you know... On the other hand, Trump attended uh, Michael Cohen's son's bar mitzvah. You mm. know, <laughs> you know, Trump formally declared, right? You know, and America recognized Jerusalem as the united capital of the the eternal, yes. indivisible capital of Jewish. No other state. president was was willing to do that, Rabbi. I got to run to a break, Ever. so twenty seconds to finish your thought, my friend. Okay. Well, listen, there are a list of things. I mean, he moves the American embassy to Israel. He recognizes Israeli sovereignty over the Golan, uh, you know, permanent legality of all Jewish communities and cities that are ridiculously called settlements in my mind. Cutting off funding to, to um, Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas, this is the legal government of Palestinian Authority. The list goes on and on. There are some 20 examples of this. And it makes you wonder what happened there. Yeah. You know, this week with this dinner. Well, and, and you know what? How disserved, if that's the right word, Trump was by advisors who said, oh, this is okay, because it is not hard to find out what Nick Fuentes is about, right. and you, he let's, should know what right. Kanye was about most recently. Yeah, and let's come back to that after the break. Absolutely. Because okay? I know you got to go to a break. Rabbi Jonathan Hausman with us for a few more minutes. On the other side of the break, you're listening to The Jimmy Sangenberger Show right here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Coming back with the best Christmas bumper music known to man from his album Moonlight, Mistletoe, and You, the great Keb Moe singing Santa Claus, Santa Claus, as we... Wrap up this hour with Rabbi Jonathan Hausman of a Havat Torah congregation in Stoughton, Massachusetts. Rabbi, real quick so we can get back to the discussion at hand, a thought on that Kebmo guitar and vocals. Well, I have to tell you, I really have to tell you that he, he's terrific. But if you, if you go online, you can find a show that he did that Kevmo did uh, with the Zach Brown Band and, Tromb and Trombone Shorty. They cover Billy Withers' Use Me, and it's just absolutely stellar. Absolutely Beautiful. stellar. Oh, so cool. I always love having you on, not just for the important conversations, Rabbi Jonathan Hausman, but for the important discussions that we have, such as this morning on anti-Semitism. We were talking about Kanye West, Nick Fuentes, Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, uh, Alex Jones hosting two of those three. Um, we have now about two minutes left in the hour. So I want to throw it to you. One thing I've noticed is that some of the criticism that's been leveled towards the likes of Kanye West, legitimate criticism, but it is pretty hypocritical, particularly coming from some folks on the left. 
Well, listen, you know, it, it, it's it, it hypocrisy doesn't even really capture this. Um, when you take a look at at the the Democratic Party, listen, and I'm not saying that that Trump doesn't deserve the criticism that he's taken over this dinner meeting and and what's come out of it. But, you know, how how can the media and and how can the Democratic leadership in Congress uh, criticize Trump when they've done such a poor job of calling out their own? You know, William Buckley wanted to extirpate, absolutely erase the stain of anti-Semitism from conservatism in the United States. And he he did a masterful job in the 50s and 60s in doing so. But here you have the Democrats who will not condemn Ilhan Omar. Even Chuck Schumer, who's Jewish, won't do this. None of the Jews, it seems, on the other side of the aisle, some 30-some out of them in the House of Representatives Senate, will criticize Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Betty McCollum, um, Mark Pocan, you know, those kinds of people. How many of them have condemned, they just willingly accept um, Al Sharpton and, and um, you yeah. know, that ilk. They say nothing. And here you have a Trump where, who on the whole, I mean, think about this. Trump issued an executive order on combating anti-Semitism to, to enhance enforcement yeah. of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. It, 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 there's, Jewish, there's no to, question. Unfortunately, right. we are at the top. The computer's going to cut me off in 15 seconds. Rabbi Jonathan Hausman, Shabbat Shalom, my friend. I really appreciate your time, and we will continue this important conversation. Sounds good, Jimmy. Have a good one. You as well. Stay with us. Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 